Okay, at this, at this time we're going to actually read through the Christmas story. We've done this in the past. We're going to do it again now. If you're, Alice, how old are you today? Okay, if you're 96 or younger and you want to come up here and sit down across the stage here and you want to have a chance to read a portion of the Christmas story while others follow, follow along, come up here now. I would say this, uh, you know, some of the words in our Bible are a little bit hard words, right? So you kind of have a sense probably of how good of a reader you are. So if you're real little and <clears throat> you kind of really want to do this, but you know that you can't read that well, you could still come up here, but when I come to you, maybe, maybe just let me know that you're going to need some help with reading because we're going to have words like pregnancy and descendant. Okay, so there's n they're not going to be our beginner reading words. So don't all rush up here at once, but let's get at least some people up here who want to read the Christmas story. And if there's not enough, I'll come select some people. There's room. Squeeze in there. Yeah, there's room. Squeeze your butt in there. All right. You can okay. All right. We got enough volunteers. You're safe. Okay. You're safe. All right. Why don't we start here? I'm going to hand you this and then uh, the microphone. This is going to be the tricky part. You're going to have to hold the microphone kind of close to your face. And then I'm going to have you read. Let's see. Why don't you read to here? Yep, start up here. We're going to start with the announcement to Mary. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you want to follow along, this is where we're going to start our story. You, you could do this. We have synoptic gospels where, you know, the story is told in a, a few different places, but we get a lot of the story here from Luke, so we're going to start there. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where Caleb is going to start reading. We'll give you a few seconds to turn there, and we'll see how fast you are. Yeah, you're going to read down to the word Jesus there, okay? Good. Give them a second to get to their page. Okay, we'll have another set up here. So follow along on that, on that set so that when you pass it to the next person, it's ready to go. Okay, Carmen, why don't you follow along on this set, and then it'll be ready to pass to the next person. Okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. All right, let's do it. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's prayer great pregnancy the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town that Galilee, Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged engaged to a man whose name was Joseph and a descendant of David and the vir virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to hear, 
pure and said greetings favored one the lord is with you but she wasn't she was greatly troubled by his words and began to wonder about the meaning of this greeting so the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I have, have not known a man? This angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And look, your relative Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son in her old age, although she is was called barren. She is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary said, Yes, I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. All right, this, next, this next section is Luke one thirty nine. Mary visits Elizabeth. In those days, Mary got up and went hurriedly into the hill country to a town of Judah. And it turned Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child in your womb. And who am I that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? For... The instant of the sound of your greeting reached my ears. The baby in the womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that what was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled. Nice job. Okay, this next section... This next section is called Mary Visits Elizabeth. Are you just going to sit here, or do you want to try to read? Okay, you're just going to sit here, okay. All right, oh, 
Next section, sorry, I said it wrong. Matthew 1, we need to go to announcement to Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we're jumping to. Announcement to Joseph. Okay, now you're going to read. Give them, give them time to turn, but you're going to read too. Let's say right here. Okay. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. When he had com- contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child convinced her in her, conceived con- her. Conceived her in her, uh, her is for, from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay. You're going to read this part right here. This, <coughs> this is... This all. This all happened, so that was what's spoken by the Lord through the prophet, prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive the the ember as a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God. God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Holy, he named Jesus. Okay, now we're back to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. This is as Jesus is born. Just wait a little bit so they can turn their pages, okay? Why don't you read this whole section, okay? Now in... Just wait a little bit. Now in those days, I just... Claire went out from Caesar Augustus to arrange all the register all the empire for taxes. This was Augustus to regulate. No, the first regulation taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judah to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was on the house and family line of David. He went to be registered for Mary with Mary who was promised in marriage to him and who was inspected to a child. While there were 
the the time came for her to deliver her child. There she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, now we're at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. The shepherds are going to be visiting. Now there, were, now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to, the, to all the people. Today our, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a ba baby wrapped in strings and clothes and laying in a manger. You're not done yet. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Beth Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they, re they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherd said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. The temple visit, we're at Luke 2, 21. Luke 2, 21. We're going to... Uh, why don't you read through verse 28 on the next page. At the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be set apart to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had not been revealed to them by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon, directed by the Spirit, came into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus to do for him what was customary according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Where am I? Now according to your word, 
Sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, listen carefully. This child is destined to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be the sign of what will be rejected. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. There are also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. <coughs> she was very old, having been married to her husband for seven years until his death. She had lived as a widow since then for 84 years. She had never left the temple, worshipping and fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came up to them and began to give thanks to God and to speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So when Joseph and Mary had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. Filled with the wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. Okay, now we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2, the wise men visit. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Then King Herod heard this. Oh, when King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem with him. After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they left, and once again the star they saw, when it rose, led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they joyfully shouted. As they came into the house and saw the child, with Mary, his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back another route to their country. Okay, we're Matthew 2.13 right now. This is the flight to Egypt. After they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for he rode, heard his going to look for the child to kill him. They, they he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and went to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. In this way, what's fulfilled, I call my son out of Egypt. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became enraged. He sent his men to kill all the children in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding region from the age of two and under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men, then he then what was spoken by the Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Rama, weeping. A, a and a loud wailing, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were gone. Okay, now we'll have the return home from Egypt. Matthew two nineteen is where we're at. After Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. For he got up and took the child and his mother and returned to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went to the regions of Galilee. He came to a town called Nazareth and lived there. Then what had been spoken by the prophets was fulfilled, that Jesus would be called Nazarene. Okay, this is the last part in Luke 2. It's just one verse, Luke 2.40. Jesus grows up. And the, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. All right. Nice job, guys. Thanks for doing that. Let's give them a hand.
one of you guys left a card up here, just come grab it later. Looks some kind of a Christmas card, it looks like. All right, well, they, they told me I can't let you out of here until 11.15, so I'll give you 15 minutes of this. It's really not enough to go through this, but we'll, we'll try to make it, we'll speed it up so that we can get out of here at 11.15. That's when they're planning that brunch, so I'll just keep reminding you of that so that your stomachs will be turning, but... What a, what a nice thing to do. Uh, by the way, that, that verse there in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, the child grew. He had favor of God upon him. That's the last mention of Jesus' childhood until he's roughly 12 years old. So as you're thinking about the, the story of Christ's birth, there's quite a bit of detail about the story of his birth, some of the individuals that got to be a part of it, even when we think about the magi or the, the wise men as you know, we call them. They, we're talking about, most people estimate, as much as a couple of years into Jesus' life when that event happens, but those are the very early, the early part of Jesus' life, but then there's not a lot of story to tell there. And in a sense, you could think about your own childhood when you're developing, and remember, fully God, but fully man. Uh, having, living and experiencing life like we would. And that's why I love that song here with us, this idea that Mary still had to rock her Savior to sleep. Like we, we kind of skip over that in our mind, fully man. And so we're talking about the same kinds of experiences that Jesus would have had with his mother that you had with your mother, except for there was no sin in that equation. And so... I don't know, parents, I guess that might be hard to picture. <laughs> but the rest of the normal interactions, they were there. And, that, and that's why we don't have a God who can't relate to what we're going through, it talks about in Hebrews. So in any event, I think it's great to be able to read through the Christmas story, some of those details. It's not new to most of us, but we are, after all, celebrating Christ's birth. And so... Good to actually go to the portions of scripture that touch on that. Well, as you can see up from the screen here, this at the top here, it says, Jesus, light of all nations. And we've spent our Christmas Eve morning here singing Christ, Christmas songs and reading the Christmas story directly from the pages of scripture. It's been encouraging to take time to remember and reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. Most of the songs we sang this morning are traditional Christmas songs. And it made me wonder how long the tradition of celebrating Christ's birth has been going on. So for those of you who like a little bit more of a historical talk, I guess we'll call it that, not even so much a message, but uh, an opportunity to look at history a little bit. I, I thought that as I was thinking about those songs. As you, as you sing a lot of those words, you have this sense, this isn't how we speak anymore. And the reason is that because a lot of those Christmas carols are hundreds of years old. Some of them are, of course, newer. The song I sing is 10 years old, probably. But many of those songs are hundreds of years old. And so even translated from their original languages into English, oftentimes they have old English words that the yees are still in those, the these and the yees and the thous, those are in there. 
And so as you think about even thine advent, advent referring to birth, words that we wouldn't even necessarily know for sure what they meant, but I was wondering how long has this tradition of celebrating Christ's birth been going on? It also made me wonder how long Christmas songs have been sung. And it led me to the oldest Christmas song on record, which is up on the screen here, Jesus, Light of All the nation of all nations, Jesus, light of all nations. So what I want to do here for just a few minutes here this morning, and I'll try to zoom through it, is take a look at the history of Christmas celebrations and Christmas songs. Now, I'll start with this. There is no biblical instruction directly to celebrate Christ's birth. And so as you think about that, well, why would we do that? Well, because we know what it's connected to. You know, we often, maybe you've even sung the phrase, born to die upon Calvary. And you think about being born to die. It's the death of Jesus Christ, his burial and his resurrection, that is the highlight or the culmination of the whole story of the Bible. The rescue come to fulfillment through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But what is a part of the person side of that? The person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, one aspect of the person side of that equation is that Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. And he had to be fully man. We've touched on in the last few weeks leading up to Christmas here. We've touched on the idea that he had to be fully man and so that he could die as the savior of the world. And so in a sense, you compare this to how Christ instructed his followers to remember his death until he comes, remember it perpetually, He never said something similar about remembering his birth. Now, there's nothing wrong with choosing to be intentional about celebrating Christ's birth. It's a very good thing, but it's a very good thing because we're remembering or we're reminded of what it means, what it leads to. Jesus, the reason for the season, what are we even talking about when we think about celebrating Christ's birth? And and in a sense, if you're celebrating Christ's birth, you wouldn't need to pick a specific day to do so. We don't have to pick a specific day to celebrate Christ's death, but it just has become a tradition. You think about things that are tradition, a tradition of celebrating a particular day, being intentional on a particular day, and a season really leading up to that day to be mindful of what the implications are of Christ having given up the glory of heaven to become a unique God-man who would die in the place for sinners like you and I. So that's the first thing I want to mention. The second thing is, how long have Christians been celebrating or remembering Christ's birth? Is there anything to bring up about that? Well, I looked at this in good detail. I don't say that I had, I did an exhaustive survey of it, but I studied this. And this is the takeaway I have, that believers have been mindful of the significance of Christ's birth since before he even came. Now think about all of the prophecies related to messianic prophecies. All the prophecies you find in the Old Testament about what the significance of Jesus Christ or the Messiah's coming would be. And this idea even of the virgin birth that we see prophetically mentioned in Isaiah, the idea of what the implications would be of Jesus coming to earth. As conceived of a virgin, we even know that detail. In the small town, even Bethlehem, we knew that detail was foretold. Many, many messianic prophecies associated or culminated or fulfilled by Christ's coming, that those were fulfilled right then and there. 
And so in a sense, you would say, well, obviously Christians or people of faith, you'd say, since it was before the time of Christ, they've been interested or mindful or they've seen the significant in the Messiah's birth. And that took place again, starting long before he came. Now, I would say it goes back at least to the time where the nation of Israel was deported, that they were conquered, the, the 10 northern tribes conquered by the Assyrians and the Judah eventually being captured by Babylon and that, that the period of 70 years even that they were in exile. Then you have silent years of over 400 years where you have this time where during that time people are very expectant or looking forward to rescue. They're looking forward to being freed or set free. Now, most often they're looking at it in a physical sense, not in a spiritual, he will save them from their sins side of it. That the Savior has come to seek and to save those who are lost. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This idea that behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They weren't as mindful about that. They were looking for redemption in a physical restoration to power and prominence, more so than looking at it from the perspective of the suffering servant that was foretold in passages like Isaiah 53. But it's fair to say that if it was thought to be of significance before Christ even came, then it's reasonable to assume that people of faith continued to be mindful or celebrate even his birth after he was born. Now, what I can find is that the celebration of Christ's birth likely took place long before it was ever even called Christmas. Some of the documentation that I looked at has it documented as even earlier than 200 AD. And so is that, is that when you think that the book of John was maybe written, well, some of John's writing was as far as late as 90 AD. You're talking about within 110 years of that, and it's saying even earlier than that, there's documentation of Christians celebrating Christ's birth. Now, again, it's before it was called Christmas because that was something associated with the Roman church. Christmas is a combination, the, the way we say it, we're celebrating Christmas, but it's a combination of the words Christ and Mass. Now, we obviously know what Christ means, but the word mass in its most basic meaning, not in the religious understanding of it, but at the most basic meaning, it refers to a large celebratory, celebratory gathering for this purpose of worship. A large celebratory gathering for worship. So, gathering to celebrate collectively Christ and in the context of Christmas, Christ and his birth. That's the basic meaning of the word. Now, while some suggest that celebrations for Christmas were instituted, this Christmas celebration was instituted as a means of promoting a God-honoring alternative to pagan solstice festivals, Christian celebrations might actually have come far before those pagan solstice festivals. In fact, it could very well be that those festivals were in, in fact imitating imitating believers on the part of pagans or unbelievers that that's why they started to celebrate that time of year as, as well. Now, there's not a lot of really clear detail on that, but some of the earliest mentions of pagans, especially Roman pagans, celebrating a solstice festival isn't until the 
fourth century, so between 300 and 400 AD. And we're talking about Christians already having been documented to be celebrating Christ's birth as early as 200 or previous, previous to even 200 AD. And so that's something to think about. A lot of people kind of have a negative, not a lot, but there's a segment of people that won't celebrate Christmas because they say it's connected either to the Roman church or it's connected to pagan celebrations and so we're not going to do it. But I thought that was very interesting. One scholar in fact says this, the most recent research has demonstrated that pagans started celebrating December 25th in conjunction with the winter solstice long after Christians had already set apart that date. And so is that definitive? No, there's a lot of dispute and debate about this. But it's something I always kind of take the approach, and I think most have, that Satan can certainly try to imitate. He can, tr he can try to pervert something. He could try to use something in a negative way, but Satan can't create anything. So Satan can take things that otherwise would be fine, otherwise would be good, and he can taint them or pervert them like I mentioned, but he didn't create them. God is the only one who's capable of creative work. And so when you think about that, this idea of Christians being able to even look at a pagan celebration and say, that's wrong, we're not going to do that. There's only one person who deserves to be celebrated, and that's Jesus Christ or God himself. And so as you think about that, we're going to take back that day, or we're going to, even if that is the origins, that we're going to do something to create an alternative that is godly. We're going to provoke something that would lift him up, which he's the one who should be celebrated. And you could take a position, as some people of faith do, that there's nothing else that should be celebrated except for God who alone remains preeminent and Jesus Christ being the preeminent one himself. So we would not ever want to be celebrating or lifting or exalting something else besides him. That's a position that's taken. Now, can you, can you honor something or give respect to something apart from God without exalting it to a place of preeminence above him? The answer is of course you can. So that's Christian liberty. Let everyone do as he's, he purposes in his own mind. But I don't like the idea, I guess, of saying that if we have a tradition where we have taken back Christ, Christmas in a sense and genuine believers in the sense of people who have actually placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone to save them apart from human works, if individuals have decided they want to celebrate and be intentional about honoring Christ with a, a seasonal celebration, I don't see any problem with that. I think that's, in fact, what we're doing today. Now, some of the commercialization of it, some of the other stuff you could say, that can take and overshadow the, the reason for the season. I think we ought to be mindful of that, that we're not doing that. I think we should not get caught up in the world's idea of what Christmas is, where they've taken Christ right out of Christmas. That's why one of my favorite, more modern Christmas songs is, What is Christmas? If there never was a Savior wrapped in a manger, what is Christmas without Christ? There is no real Christmas without Christ from the believer's sense of understanding. And so regardless of the history of it, Christians eventually began observing December 25th in celebration of Christ's birth and what it ultimately meant for the salvation of mankind. Remember, we're celebrating both aspects of that, not just his birth, but what his birth meant for the, celebration, for the salvation of mankind. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So he had a birth. He was born taking a fully human form while still remaining fully God, but he set aside 
uh, his, his divinity in a sense that he, he still had access to it, but he didn't avail himself of it. He was fully human so that he could die on Calvary for you and I. Now, why did he have to die? Because man was born with a problem. Man was identified with the sinfulness of Adam. And by birth and by choice, man became identified with sin. God being perfectly holy, he couldn't have any fellowship with or closeness with sin. Otherwise, it would taint his holiness. So something had to be done to resolve man's condition of being identified and born into and choosing sin if man ever wanted to be with God. And so God looked at man in love and he said, I don't want to leave man estranged from me. I want to reconcile man to myself. And the only way that can be done is by paying the debt that is owed for sin. And the Bible says clearly the debt that's owed for sin is death, eternal separation from God. So the wages of sin is death, but then what did God do to resolve man's problem? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus Christ broke down that barrier of sin that was separating sinful man from a holy God by paying the debt of our sin. So as he died on a cross saying, I love you this much, all of our sin was poured out on him. And so as Jesus died in our place, he paid a debt that you and I should have had to pay, which was death for sin. So the value of Jesus' death was greater than the debt that was owed by all mankind for all time on account of their sinfulness. And this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus then paid a debt we never could so that we could have access to a life we don't deserve through simple faith in what he had done for us. And that's why the Bible says salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a product of God's gracious disposition toward us. Grace meaning God dealing with us or treating us in a way that we don't deserve. How God would give us something in spite of ourselves. And so it wasn't a partial solution to our problem. It was a complete solution to our problem as Jesus didn't just die for some of your sins. He died for all of your sins. And the last words he cried out on the cross was, it is finished. Meaning the sin debt that was owed by all men for all time had been fully satisfied. That's why we say that the response to the gospel is faith alone By grace alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. We can't add to what Jesus has already done. So the question is, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're really celebrating his birth being the vehicle that will lead to his death on a cross for sinners like you and I. And the question is, will we receive, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. If you would believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, that he died for you, that's a decision that you make in your mind that I'm now going to quit trusting in myself, my efforts, my church, my rituals. I'm going to put all my trust in exclusively what Jesus did for me. In the moment that you make that decision, the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're adopted into God's family, and he will never let you go. That is the message of the Bible. So when I look at this celebration of, Christ, of Christmas, that's ultimately what Christians began doing. And it developed as a church tradition, and it can properly be viewed as an extension of celebrating his sacrifice since his birth was a precondition to his death. Now, the next question you might ask was, was Jesus born on December 25th? Was Jesus actually born on December 25th? And the simple truth is we don't know. There's much speculation about it. There's a lot of different opinions about it. We don't even really know for sure what month Jesus was born, let alone 
the exact day. There's various theories that have been raised that put Jesus' birth in April, September, October, December, but no one knows for sure. In fact, we don't even know for sure the year in which he was born. Scholars believe it was somewhere between 6 BC and 4 BC, but there's not even unanimous opinion or consensus about that. But one thing is clear. If God felt it was important for us to know the exact date of the Savior's birth, he certainly would have told us in his word. If God thought it was important for us to know and celebrate a very specific exact date, he would have told us. So the fact that arbitrarily, and I want to say arbitrarily because there's some, there's some basis for it, that September, or sorry, December 25th was selected. There's some Jewish traditions associated with it. There's some, there's some background that might lend itself to some early records suggesting that might be the date of Jesus' birth. There was some, the two strongest arguments were for December 25th and January 8th was another one. But as you're thinking about these dates, if God wanted us to know, we would know. Now, how can we be sure of that? Were you listening to the Christmas story? Were you listening, young, young people? Did, did the Bible reveal some very specific details about Christ's birth? How many, how, how many books mentioned that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths? We, we, we saw at least two just this morning, right? Now, is that a detail that could have been left out? It, it could have been, but it, it wasn't. How about that he was placed in a manger? Could that have been left out? Could have been, but it wasn't. How about that he was born in Bethlehem? How about that his birth was announced to shepherds? How about that shepherds came to worship him? How about the, the idea of King, what King Herod's evil, as there was this evil response to light coming into the world, which is symbolic of men loving darkness rather than light, right? So there's a lot of details given. If God wanted us to know this, we would. So I don't think we've got to get that worked up about it. The truth is, here's a date that we build up to each year with hopefully as Christians, a sense of intentional significance, remembering Christ's birth, knowing what it meant in terms of his eventual death. Now we get to the part on the screen here. When did Christians start singing Christmas songs? Now I'm going to say this. I assume that there were songs celebrating Christ's birth from the very beginning. And why do I say that? It was a pretty significant event. Christians, believers, were writing songs about significant things, theological matters or significant events. I assume that there were songs that were sung from very early on. There's still sung, songs being written about this, so I assume there were songs from the very beginning. But the oldest Christmas song on record is Jesus, Light of All Nations, what's up here on the screen. It was written in Latin, by a Roman church bishop from France named St. Hilary. And it was written in 368. Who's good with math? I'm not, so I have it down here. I'm just wondering if you are. Okay. 2023, 2023, minus 368. What did we come up with? Okay. What? There we go. I knew some of you were very quick with math. Okay, so 1,655 years old. Now compare that age, 1,655 years old, to some of the songs that we're very familiar with. Good Christian men rejoice. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul. Okay, that, the tune of that is 1800s, but the words might date back as far as 13, 1328. 1328. So that's pretty old, right? 
but it's not 1,655 years old. Or about, how about, O come all ye faithful. Those, those words are thought to date back into the 1300s too. So you're talking about between 1200 and, and, and 1300. No, it's, yeah. I'm not sure. I can't remember what the exact date they thought that was. I thought it was, no, it was, it was in the 1300s. So it was somewhere around the same time as good Christian men rejoice. But those are much, much, much later, almost over a thousand years later than this song. So thinking about how far this tradition of singing these songs to celebrate Christ's birth goes back, I, I, don't, I don't want to make too much of it, but what a great tradition to be a part of as we sit here today, 1,655 years later. And obviously it's even farther from his actual birth. Now how about the words up there? Now this is only one of three stanzas to the song. The other two stanzas, stanzas really focus on the Magi. This was in Latin, so it's not going to be very poetic in English, but this is what scholars translate this to in English. Here's the words. They're up there on the screen. Jesus, Redeemer of all nations, has shown forth. Let the whole family of the faithful celebrate the stories. Now, what can we take away from those lyrics very briefly? Well, the focus is properly on Jesus, and it apparently it has been from early on. It is in many of the songs that we sing, but that's where the song starts, with Jesus. Then we have a break. Jesus, a comma, gives us a break. Jesus. Now the song explains Christ's mission with the words Redeemer. And some versions have devoted Redeemer. But Redeemer. Jesus the Redeemer. And what does Redeemer mean? Jesus bought us out of the bondage that we were into the debt that was owed for sin. He purchased our freedom with his blood. He paid our price so we could be set free. That's what the word redemption is focused on. Buying us back. And so what a way to start a Christmas song. Jesus, the one who bought us back. And so then you think about the next part of the lyric. The lyrics explain that the scope of God's rescue plan included all nations. You see that? Jesus, redeemer of all nations. He came to seek and to save every single one who was perishing. That was you, that was I, that was everyone who's come before us that's ever existed on planet earth. Uh, you think about specifically in relation to following his death, but that was even true as he paid, kind of looking backwards, a debt that was owed by all men, for all men, for all sin, even coming to his time, but looking forward to the cross. Even men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, people that we hear about in the Bible. Now, how about this phrase, has shown forth? That's a reference to Christ's birth. The birth of Jesus Christ was associated with light being brought to earth, light being brought to earth. And so then you have how the song ends. The song ends with a description of the Christian's proper response to being mindful or intentional about thinking about the redemption of Jesus as he came to earth to shine forth his light to all nations. What would the only reasonable response to that be? Let the whole family of the faithful celebrate the stories. Let the whole family of the faithful celebrate the stories. Stories of what? stories of Christ's birth. So it's very encouraging to, th to think that 1,600 plus years later, that, ex that is exactly what we did today. We celebrated the story of Christ's birth as a gathering, a whole family gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Through reading the scripture account of Jesus Christ, through singing Christmas songs. 
So I believe this has been going on since Christ's death. I believe it's been going on possibly even in the, the years leading up to his death between his birth and the time that he died. I, I have to think that even the Magi or the shepherds would have continued to sing praises associated with being a part of that monumentous occasion in human history. But even if it started later, even if it starts when this song was written in 368, you're still looking at this as 1,600 years later, we're still doing the same thing. And I think, as I was thinking about that, doesn't that seem like a tradition worth continuing? Wasn't that fun to do this morning? All right, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to go eat a brunch. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time that we could gather and celebrate your birth. Knowing that your birth was worth celebrating in and of itself, as it was a reflection of your willingness to sacrifice yourself and humble yourself and even become, pitch your tent among us, tabernacle among us, how you were willing to be God with us, Emmanuel, that you were willing to live life with and sort of rub elbows with us, that you were willing to go through life with people and show that you uh, were willing to take on even that humble perspective to do so, but that you did it with a purpose, a purpose to one day then go and become the savior of all mankind through dying on Calvary and shedding your blood for us. Thank you that you did that. Pray that we would think about that death, burial, and resurrection often. Pray that we would have hearts that want to keep the focus where it rightfully belongs during this season on you, that we would even have hearts that want to proclaim and tell people what makes the season so significant or what makes your birth, at least your birth, so significant. Pray that you would just have us have a a fun time of fellowship, an encouraging time of fellowship that it could build us up. And thank you for all the hard work that went into getting this meal together, all the people who are willing to donate uh, food items and contribute in many, many different ways. Thank you for each and every person who's here today, for this huge family of faith that we have that you've blessed us with. Pray that we would see spending time with one another as a blessing, something that we would actually look forward to because we know that it's something that you actually gifted us with that we didn't deserve, we didn't